and we move on to our final subject of today's episode, which is a very interesting article that just came out. It's a, a Michael von der Schulenberg article on the Ukraine war. Uh, it came out last week, and the article is titled uh, "How the How the Chance Was Lost for a Peace Settlement of the Ukraine War." It's a very hard to read title. It's it just doesn't flow off the tongue well at all. Like uh, I think I'm saying it right, <laughs> but as I'm writing it down, I'm like, okay, well, why'd you put that word in that specific order? But uh, whatever. How the chance was lost for a peace settlement of the Ukraine war. That's the name of the article, michaelvonderschulenberg.com, because apparently it's a, it's a website in and of itself. But yeah, this is a very, very interesting and very, very telling article. And in it, it's a very long article too, because it's a it's sort of a detailed recreation of the first like month and a half of the war in Ukraine. Uh, but thankfully, thankfully, very thankfully, it leads with the its key takeaways. It sort of breaks it down into... It says six, but it's, it actually breaks it down into seven points when you read it. And we will go over these points. And it's nothing new to us, right? Because we've been covering this. Uh, but it's very interesting to see more and more outlets start telling the truth about the Ukraine war bit by bit. And then this guy, this article is jumping way ahead on and jumping well i should jumping ahead or i should say jumping back to how the war could have been avoided the second it began which is what we said we acknowledged that there was a peace settlement between these two the unofficial minsk three when ukraine and russia are meeting in istanbul back in march and april of 2022 like it, literally weeks after the war began, it was almost over. And the Ukrainian delegation initialed the preliminary peace documents. But we'll, we'll get into this. We'll get into this. Um, because, again, thankfully, it it pastes the, the key takeaways from the article in seven points uh, right at the top. And the article reads... From the detailed reconstruction of the March peace efforts, six conclusions emerge. And it's actually seven, but it's a typo, but six emerge. One, just one month after the start of the Russian military intervention in Ukraine, Ukrainian and Russian negotiators had come very close to an agreement for a ceasefire and to an outline for a comprehensive peace solution to the conflict so not just a ceasefire not just the, okay we're going to go back to status quo no an actual resolution to not just the russo-ukrainian war but to the donbass war the civil war that went on for eight years prior to the russian intervention in 2022 russia came in suing for peace and got ukraine to the negotiating table and they were about to resolve it all everything was on the table and in number two we we get to Zelensky because on the second bullet point it says in contrast today president Zelensky and his government had made great efforts to negotiate peace with Russia and bring the war to a quick end which is the right move to make and he almost succeeded like Russia and Ukraine almost had peace like it it was tangible you could almost taste it right bullet point number three 
Contrary to Western interpretations, Ukraine and Russia agreed at the time that the planned NATO expansion, because we were promising to expand NATO into Ukraine, and you had idiots like Stoltenberg saying that uh, Russia has no legitimate security concerns as they're threatening to add Ukraine to NATO. So they, they agreed, Ukraine and Russia agreed at the time that the planned NATO expansion was the reason for the war. So they, even though Ukraine is being invaded by Russia, they, the Russians managed to have a sit down with them and say, hey, look, we're not trying to fight. All right. We just really, really, really can't have you in NATO. Like you understand that that's a threat to us. We don't want you to be a threat to us and we don't want to be fighting this war with you. So if you can be neutral, we can we can get up out of here, right? If you can be neutral and put this NATO thing to rest, we can get up out of here. You and me can go back to business as usual and all this can be over. We're not trying to fight this war with you. We're not trying to invade you. We're not trying to kill your people. We know you're, you don't want this war either. Neither one of us want this war. Neither one of us would have started this war on our own accord. But these people over there, they really want to put you in this alliance but that's a threat to us like like they really sat down and had these talks they really sat down and came to this agreement where okay we understand because the fact that they came to the agreement means that the ukrainian side understood where the russians were coming from they understood russia wasn't invading them because of putin's imperialist ambitions he wants to put the old band back together like like chris christie says Oh, he's trying to put the Soviet Union back together. The Ukrainians understood that that's not what this was about. It was about NATO. And they they came to agreement on that point, on the origins of the war. And that's a huge point to make because from we've been inundated with, oh, Putin is imperialist. He, want, he wants to take over all of Europe. But the Ukrainian, not, that's not what the Russians and the Ukrainians said in these when they were sitting down talking to each other. It was NATO expansion that caused the war. Russia couldn't allow the expansion of a hostile military alliance onto their border into Ukraine. And what they wanted for Ukraine wasn't to annex Ukraine. It was for Ukraine to be neutral and to stop the war in the Donbass. And the Ukrainians agreed that that was a fair assessment of the situation, which is really, really big and really telling that the news is now... Now, admitting this uh, late into the war, as we're heading into the winter, uh, you can we can see the writing is being written on the wall right now. It's being it's being written on the wall right now for all the normies who've been going along with the Ukraine's winning narrative. Like the writing is actually we're watching people write on the walls, and it's not the story we were told at the beginning of this. That's bullet point number three. Well, I, that's bullet point number two. Uh, and well, no, that's number three. I just didn't finish reading number three. Uh, that that was they agreed that NATO expansion was the reason for the war. They they also focused. They therefore focused their peace negotiations on Ukraine's neutrality and its renunciation of NATO membership. In return, here's the big piece: Ukraine would have retained its territorial integrity except for Crimea, except for Crimea. That's huge because that's Minsk 
two, they would have maintained their territorial integrity except for Crimea. So it is implied, at least through this article, although I'm not entirely sure how well this would have gone, but it's implied that Ukraine would have had the Donbass too if they're willing to sit down and make peace with the Donbass and the Russians would have allowed the Donbass to become a part of Ukraine again, likely under the Minsk II format where they would have had more autonomy within Ukraine. I'm not entirely sure how that would have worked out because Russia recognized the independence of both Luhansk and Donetsk like on day two of the war. So we're talking weeks into the war. I'm not entirely sure how that would have gone about. But maybe this article, maybe, maybe we were, maybe the article just missed what we got or, but nonetheless, if the article is correct and the Russians were willing to see the Donbass come back into Ukraine, whoa. Even after recognized their independence, whoa, that's even bigger. That means unofficial Minsk three, which is the peace deal here, was even better than what we thought it was. They were going to get the same deal that they had in Minsk two, and this was the last chance. The Russians were invading you, and they're and they're they're invading you, and then they sit down with you and offer you Minsk two. Uh, instead of just taking everything they've and keeping everything they've taken from you they they invade your land and then offer you the minsk two agreement as a sort of final offer because they don't again russia didn't want this war russia didn't want to invade ukraine they could have invaded ukraine ages ago but they chose not to for eight years and they didn't want to invade now this war could have been over and it could have been way better for ukraine like the, the russia was really trying to bypass the west bypass the united states britain france germany and just cut a, a side deal with the ukrainians that's that's what this was and they almost had it they almost had it. and ukraine would have been way better off had had it gone that way everything except for crimea would have still been a part of Ukraine, according to this paper. Now, I think the Donbass would have been independent or and on their way towards uh, a place in the Russian Federation because Russia acknowledged their independence. But maybe that was going to be worked out in the deal. Who knows? <clears throat> but bullet point number four. There is, is little doubt that these peace negotiations failed due to resistance from NATO and in particular from the USA and the UK. The reason is that such a peace agreement would have been tantamount to a defeat for NATO and end, uh, tantamount to a defeat for NATO and end to NATO's eastward expansion and thus an end to the dream of a unipolar world dominated by the United States of America. That's bullet point number four. So that, that's sort of the them laying out why we came in and sabotaged the peace. The US and the UK being the, the chief warmongers here coming in, sabotaging the peace at, at, at the finish line, at the finish line. Because the Russians at, by this point had already withdrawn troops from the north as a symbol of a, a goodwill for these negotiations. So like the more we dig into the events that transpired immediately following the Russian invasion, the more we realize that the Russians really are 
the exact opposite of the bad guys that they're being portrayed as in, in the media. Granted, we knew that. But look at this. They came in from the north, walked back as a symbol of good faith in these negotiations with Ukraine. They didn't have to do that, but they did. And they demonstrated that they would have left all of Ukraine had they reached this deal, because they did that. They, they wouldn't be occupying the territory from Donbass all the way to Zaporizhia right now. I mean, all the way to Kherson, the land bridge to Crimea, so to speak. They would have left had Ukraine and Russia reached that deal. The Russians showed that they were willing to do that by pulling out from the north uh, around Kiev and Chernihiv. They pulled back. <clears throat> it was us in the UK who played the leading role in sabotaging this. <clears throat> we sabotaged this piece because it would have been a defeat for NATO. It would have ended our eastward expansion of NATO because where else are you going to expand? Finland? Sweden? There's nowhere else to expand. Georgia? That's not going to happen. It would have ended our eastward expansion of NATO. And it would have effect, it would have effectively drawn a border where NATO couldn't, where U.S. hegemony couldn't reach past. And they just couldn't accept that. They just couldn't accept a neutral Ukraine. And Ukraine almost went along with the deal. They, and they would have been way better off with it. Number Bullet point number five. The failure of the peace negotiations in March 2022 led to dangerous intensification of the war that has cost the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, especially young people, deeply traumatized a young generation and inflicted the most severe mental and physical wounds on them. Ukraine has been exposed to enormous destruction, internal displacements, and mass impoverishment. This is accompanied by a large-scale depopulation of the country. Because remember, 10 million people fled on, day, on the first few months of this war. And more are likely to flee as the Russians push further west. A million, half a million are dead. This is literally depopulation. Like, and factor that in with the fact that Ukraine's population was already in decline because they weren't having enough kids. They're never going to recover from this. They weren't having enough kids before, and now the men are dead. The young men are dead. And you're sending men 40 and over to the front lines. You're sending women to the front lines. You have no future. Not demographically speaking, Ukraine might not exist as an ethnicity. No, that's that's a bit of an exaggeration. They're going to exist, but what? A couple million of you left from the high point of 45 million? That's terrible. That is depopulation. <clears throat> so it says this is accompanied by lar a large-scale depopulation of the country. Not only Russia, but also NATO and the West bear a heavy share of the blame for this disaster. And that's true. Bullet point number six. Ukraine's negotiating position today is far worse than it was in March 2022. 
Ukraine will now lose large parts of its territory. And this is assuming that they negotiate right now. It's talking about a negotiating position. That's assuming that they negotiate at all. If the Russians have, uh, I said it from the beginning of the war, if the Russians have to march all the way to Lviv to end the war, they're not giving you everything else back. They're not giving you back the land that they had to fight for. They're going to take that. Now, perhaps, maybe if they have to go all the way to Lviv, they might give a little bit. They might get. They don't. They really don't want the western parts of Ukraine. Not. A, they really don't. They wouldn't want it. They don't want it. They'll give it to the, the other Europeans and let them deal with that. But they really don't want the western part of Ukraine. So perhaps they'll give some of that back. But 70, 80 percent of Ukraine is going to remain part of Russia in perpetuity. And they're going to bribe their new neighbors off by giving parts of Ukraine's land away so that the, the new neighbors have a, a stake in maintaining the new status quo. Because when people say we need to return Ukraine back to the 2014 borders, well, the Russians kind of gave us this piece of land. And if we go back to 2014 borders, ah, ooh, that would mean us giving up land and resources. And we really don't want to do that. I mean, Moldova can get a coastline. If they, if they give away that piece uh, to the south of Moldova, I'm sure they would appreciate that. <laughs> so that, that's an easy buy-off. You buy off Moldova, and you create a whole buffer state between you and the next guy over, Romania. Uh, but I digress. That's point number six. Uh, and, and again, assume that they negotiate. They're, they're in a worse negotiating position now than they were in 2022, because the Russians are now occupying, and they fortified that land bridge from the Donbass to Crimea. They fortified it, and you've just watched your entire counteroffensive fail. So now you 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 have even fewer troops on side with you for this negotiation. Your military is weaker, and it's been proven weaker by the failure of your counteroffensive. Your position is weaker from a military standpoint. And their position is stronger because their defenses have been proven now. You can't get through them. So the land that they've taken, they have the ability to just sit on. And no matter whether you accept the peace or not, they can keep it. So their position is objectively weaker now than it was before. And it's unlikely that they're going to get the same deal that they had before. Russia's not, Russia has now annexed the Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, Kherson... They've now formally annexed these places, meaning that the deal you had before back in March of 2022, where you're going to get everything except for Crimea, that deal's never going to come back. You are down now by five regions instead of just one. <laughs> you're never going to get that back. Everything else is going to be a worse deal from that point on, because the Russians came in offering you a very generous deal. And... We came in and sabotaged the deal, told the Ukrainians to say no, and the Ukrainians, to their detriment, trusted us. Point number seven, the blocking of the peace negotiations at the time, at that time has harmed everyone, Russia and Europe, uh, but allow, well, uh, let, me, let me go through that again. The blocking of the peace negotiations at that time has harmed everyone, Russia and Europe. But above all, the people of Ukraine, who are paying with their blood the price of the ambitions of the major powers and will probably get nothing 
in return. Now, this article, it even brought up, I, I read a little bit uh, deeper into it as it went into the, the breakdown, uh, well, the reconstruction of these peace agreements and how they came about and how they were sabotaged. It, it brought up how the peace agreement was going to give Ukraine uh, security guarantors, the one that they initialed and then they walked away from. That deal, and we covered it on the podcast when Putin exposed it, that deal, had they taken it, they would have had security guarantees from Russia, from China, and, and actually the article runs through the list as well. For, they would have had security guarantees from Ukraine. Uh, not not. They oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be their own security guarantee. Yeah, but they had security guarantees from Russia, Britain, China, the United States, France, Turkey, Germany, Canada, Italy, Poland, and Israel. Because remember, Naftali Bennett, the then Prime Minister of Israel, was a part of these negotiations. A lot of people. A lot of people and former statesmen of Germany and France were present in this peace negotiations and trying to make this work, and it almost succeeded. But then that, that fateful trip from Boris Johnson to, to Ukraine came and sabotaged the whole thing. The U.S. and the U.K. came in and sabotaged it. The German and French governments were in on the sabotage as well, the people who were in charge at the time because the former statesmen were aboard peace the existing statesmen were aboard war and the whole thing fell apart but they were going to have security guarantees from all these major countries in nato security guarantees from russia and china and turkey well turkey's in nato yeah you have all the major powers except for india but there was the opportunity for other countries to join in to the to be, to be a donor for uh, Ukraine, to become a, a patron member for Ukraine's uh, independence. You had de facto NATO membership without having to have a NATO military. And you have the security guarantee from Russia because they appreciate you being a neutral border state, a neutral buffer state between them and, and NATO. That's the best of both worlds. N Ukraine could have had a better situation than even being in NATO had they accepted that deal. But we came in and sabotaged it. And now half a million Ukrainians are dead. 10, 12, 13 million have fled the country. And who knows if there's going to be a Ukraine by the time this thing is over. It's a tragedy. It really is a tragedy. And that tragedy has entered its final act, and I'll refer you to last week's episode uh, for more on that. <sighs> but that, yeah, I think it's very telling. I think it's very telling. But before I before I end the episode, I'll just go on this. It's very telling. And like I said with that other article, they're trying to get ahead of the narrative. When we when we went over all those articles about Zelensky, what the the NBC article, the Economist interview with Zeluzhny, the all these all these articles suddenly popping up about how corrupt Ukraine is and how Zelensky's losing his faculties and how uh, Zeluzhny failed, but it, it was because the Russians were stronger than he anticipated and all those things. Uh, all these articles coming out now, after the failure of the counteroffensive, as we're going into the winter, as Ukraine has depleted itself of manpower and equipment and money, because there's no more money coming down the line anymore. 
all these articles are coming out to get ahead of the story because the the story is about to change rapidly uh not not soon not soon it's going to be because we're going into winter now but when the spring comes around and that russian backbreaker offensive hits it's going to change everything and they know it and they know it that's why they're releasing all these articles right now all these articles uh, a couple months in advance of the collapse of ukraine so they can you know begin preparing the public and walk and you know there's a sort of leading us down from the the propaganda high that we were on that ukraine is going to win russia is going to lose and they're, they're trying to trying to walk us back from that towards you know maybe ukraine might not be as strong as we thought they were. yeah you know maybe russia isn't as weak as we thought they were you know the, the correct ukrainians are really corrupt you know maybe they don't actually need our money okay it's maybe, maybe it's a good thing that we're not giving them any money. no you know, walking back everything that they told us. Maybe the, the ghost of Ukraine wasn't real. Okay, maybe Bakhmut really was important, and we lost a lot of people. Okay, but you know, you know, just walking it back and walking it back steadily over the course of these months, so that when the collapse happens, they can say, "Look, we told you about this. We didn't get it wrong. No, no, no. We told you about this. Look at those articles we published just a few weeks ago. You know, that's what they're doing, and it's not going to work." Because the propaganda was too strong. It was too heavy. They don't have enough time to walk it back. It's all going to collapse in real time next year. And compare that to what Ukraine could have had. It's a world of difference. It really is. But that, my lovely listeners, is all I've got for you today. I do hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast on my geopolitical podcast. Uh, now, I've been your host, Haishan Wade. Uh, wait, hold on. I'm skipping a part. <laughs> the world is changing. The world is changing. Yes, it is. Huge things happening in the Middle East right now. And a big thing about to happen in Europe not too long from now. But no matter how these things change, we will have fun watching these changes together. Now, I've been your host, Haishan Wade. And you've been listening to This Week in Geopolitics. So till we meet again next Monday, servus. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.